This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. One, two, two. We've got a, got a One, two, two, two. 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 How are we yeah, doing? I think we're all good. Okay. Fred, thanks so much for coming on. You're all about the bonus content on Head Stuff Podcast Network. Bonus conversation in the house. I know this is the first time we've spoken all day and it's half past nine. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Good, tired now. I wish you'd do more in the house for me. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the only way we can communicate, I wish you'd look after Ted more. <laughs> Maybe that's all. Now that's, that's funny that's because that's funny because as they would say us quite like a monarchon scale home, the opposite is true. <laughs> he did that in an ordinary Who is the who's the primary person who ta- who does stuff in the house? Well, I'm not answering that question. Who does most of the washing? Look, I know this is called crime now, but I don't want people to listen to an actual murder. Oh, <laughs> okay, guys, that's premeditation. Now, I have a nice one for you today. Are you ready? Ready. Have you heard of the phrase Stockholm Syndrome? Oh, I have. And you know what, Patty? You mentioned this briefly to me. It's a uh, great story. One. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd like this one because you don't like when they're too heavy, which Ooh. is fair enough. I don't mind them when they're heavy. I've lived a life, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> you can put anything in front okay, of Okay, right. Here we go. On the morning of the 23rd of August 1973, an escaped convict crossed the streets of Sweden's capital city and entered a bank, the Swedish Credit Banking, um, on Stockholm's upscale Normanstalg Norm Storg Square. So from underneath his jacket, he carried this guy whose name was Jan Eric Olsen, carried a submarine gun, fired at the ceiling, and then he put on this American accent and cried out, The party has just begun. <laughs> so <laughs> he went as you do. He wounded a policeman who had obviously responded to a silent alarm. And then the robber took four bank employees hostage. So John Eric was basically, he was supposed to go back to prison after furlough from his three-year sentence for grand larceny. And he had a few demands. So he's after taking these people hostage, he's in the bank, he's got the gun, and he demands more than $700,000 in Swedish and foreign currency, a getaway car, and the release of a guy called Clark Olofsson, who was serving to, serving time for armed robbery and like which would have been an even bigger deal, acting as an accessory in the 1966 murder of a policeman. Within hours, the police delivered Clark. So in other words, this guy, John Eric, was like, I want this guy, he's my mate, I want him out of prison. And the police, this is so bizarre, they were like, yeah, grand, they got your man out of prison, Uh, they got the ransom, the money he wanted, and they got a blue car, a blue Ford Mustang, Full of petrol. Yeah. So they filled the car for him. They were he like, here's your mate. Here's your yeah. money. Here's the car. However, authorities refused the robber's demand to leave with the hostages in, in tow to ensure a safe passage. So he said no to that bit. He was like, no. The unfolding drama captured headlines across the world and it played out all over, obviously, TVs across Sweden. The public then flooded police headquarters with suggestions for ending this standoff. And it, like, insane stuff, like people were suggesting, you know, maybe we could have a concert outside or maybe Mm. we could send a swarm of bees in. Like, people just had these mad suggestions. It was crazy. A 
And then inside the bank, so the, the poor old hostages now, there are four of them. They were all kind of hanging out. They were all in this kind of cramped bank vault with the two lads. So Clark and John Eric, who mm. have been the ringleader. Clark has just gone out of prison. Mm. So he's John Eric's mate. And they're all in this bank vault together. So this is where things get weird. The captives forged a really strange bond with their abductors. So Clark, this, like, it's, it's all very strange. Well, sorry, John Eric draped a wool jacket over the shoulders of Kristen Enmark when she began to shiver and said she was cold. He soothed her when she had a bad dream and he even gave her a bullet from his gun as something to remember. (laughs) (laughs) As a souvenir. Jan Eric also consoled Brigitte Lundblad when she couldn't reach her family by phone and told her, (laughs) try again, don't give up. (laughs) When hostage Elizabeth Oldgren complained of claustrophobia, because he would be claustrophobic, wouldn't you, in the bank vault? Oh, completely, yeah. Do you yeah. get claustrophobic? Sometimes. Not too much. I was always when I was hungover. You know, that it was always... Uh, but generally, I'm fine. I've never really had too much of a, a spatial problem. Would you ever... Well, having been in the car when you've tried to park it, I beg to differ... <laughs> Hey, hey, I'm here all weekend. So uh, it was all very odd. So Elizabeth Olgren would later say, I remember thinking he was very kind to allow me to leave the vault. So this related to, um, basically, she said she was claustrophobia and he had said, Jan Eric, you know what? You can walk outside the vault. I'll just attach you to the 30 foot rope and you can go for a walk outside because it is a bit cramped in here. And she said, I remember thinking he was very kind to leave me out of the vault. And then this other guy, Seven Softstrom, said, when he treated us well, we could think of him as an emergency god. So they were all talking of this guy in really high esteem. Mm. By the second day, the hostages were on a first name basis with their captors. And they started to think the police were the threat, not their abductors. Yes, so they started to view the police as an enemy. So much so that when the police commissioner was allowed inside to inspect the hostages' health, he noticed that the hostages appeared hostile to him. They were not happy to see him, but really relaxed and kind of jovial, cheery with Clark and John Eric, the gunmen. The police man would later, the police chief, I should say, later told the press that he doubted the gunmen would harm the hostages because they had developed, quote, a rather relaxed relationship. One of the hostages even rang, so this is another crazy part of this story, one of the hostages even rang the Swedish Prime Minister and told him that uh, she really wanted the robbers to take her with them in the escape car, saying, I fully trust Clark and the robber. I am not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. On the contrary, they've been very nice. It must but have been like two Johnny Depp's coming in and guys and just falling straight away. Like, yeah. like, whatever you want to do. Like, must have been yeah. incredibly good, charming men. Well, they must have been very charming. So she said to the Prime Minister, but you know what I'm scared of is that the police will ca- attack and cause us to die. Even when threatened with physical harm, the hostages still saw compassion in their abductors. After Olsen threatened to shoot Safstrom in the leg um, to shake up the police. So sorry, Olsen would have been um, Jan Eric. He yeah. threatened to shoot Seven, who was the male, one of the yeah. male hostages. Um, so 
Jan Eric said, look, I'm going to shoot seven in the leg. Seven later would tell the New Yorker how kind I thought he was for saying it was just my leg he would shoot. <laughs> and then one of the other hostages tried to convince Seven to take the bullet saying, but Seven, it's just in the leg. Yeah, fully. Ultimately, the, the robbers did no physical harm to the hostages. And on the night of the 28th of August, after more than 130 hours, the police pumped tear gas into the vault and the perpetrators quickly surrendered. The police called for the hostages to come out first, but the four hostages protecting their abductors to the very end refused with one of them yelling no Jan and Eric go first you'll gun them down if we do in the doorway of the vault the robbers and the hostages embraced kissed and shook hands as the police seized the gunmen the two female hostages cried don't hurt at them they didn't harm us while Elizabeth was wheeled away in a stretcher she shouted to the handcuffed Clark Clark I will see you again the hostages seemingly irrational attachment to their captors perplexed the public and the police who even investigated whether there had been some collusion with the hostages mm. and the host like they mm. could not believe that these people hadn't met before and they had just formed yeah. this bond. So the captives were really confused too. The day after her release, Elizabeth asked a psychiatrist, is there something wrong with me? Why don't I hate them? Psychiatrists compared the behavior to the wartime shell shock exhibited by soldiers and explained that the hostages became emotionally indebted to their abductors and not the police for being spared death. Within months of the siege, psychiatrists dubbed the strange phenomenon Stockholm Syndrome, which begat, became part of the popular lexicon in 1974 when it was used as a defence. Do you remember the, the very famous newspaper RS? This was probably, I actually thought it was this case now with yeah. the newspaper arrest. That the secretary went steam trip. Patty Hearst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Patty Hearst and she assisted her radical Symbionese Liberation Army captors in a series of bank robberies. And I actually thought that's where the phrase originated yeah. from. The same place as well, same area. Yeah, so yeah. I I thought it I thought it was that, but it actually wasn't. It was it was this case. Even after Clark and John Eric returned to prison, the hostages made visits to them while they were in jail. An appeals court overturned Clark's conviction, but John Eric spent years behind bars before being released in 1980. Once freed, he married one of the many, oh, many right. women. Yet, once he got out in 1980, he married one of the many, many women who had sent him admiring letters while he was in prison. He moved to Thailand in 2009. He released his autobiography. Do you want to take a guess what it was called? Stockholm Syndrome. Good man. Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, brilliant. And that is the story of Stockholm Syndrome. Now, that was fairly painless, wasn't it, Fred? It kind of reminds me of you. I feel like I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of we, captivated here you, in the upper mountain. I was going to say, I but I don't mind it. You forged a good relationship with your hostage keeper exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah. Now listen, come on, this floor isn't going to mop itself, Fred. It's so just finished mopping. <laughs> so I better land it off. Now I didn't realise it was so short. This one, it's just a nice little, a twelve minute, oh. a little nugget. A little while you're. Take that one while you're. I can only say it. <laughs> what were you keep it keep it family friendly? What were you gonna say? Not so much a reader's digest, but a listener's digest. Thank you so much, Fred, for coming on board. Do you remember when we had a podcast? Oh, exactly. Yeah, and then we say to the remember our editor, we said, "Could you just leave out those three minutes in the middle?" And then he listened to it and was like, 
I'm no, I'm not the one who's fucking tired here. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for oversharing. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Fred Cook. You're the best. I, I love, love you, you okay, so bye. much. Stockholm, love you. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.